This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay. Uh, it's a bunch of years that we've had, that I've had the push to address uh, the different issues here in Ozumea. The night before from Kipper, um, I don't know why I'm here, but I, but I, I you know, it's pretty hard the night before the Kipper to get up and to speak. And um, I definitely didn't think there'd be so many guys here, that's for sure. Getting yeah, ready, Kaparas, and uh, the other they have to do. So, Baruch Hashem, it's, it's a very big push. And um, I know there's a couple of you that listen to my shirm all the time. The story that I'm going to tell you guys that I've never said before, except for the guys who got to come anytime before I got here tonight, um, and saw my speech in LA, which was just, which was just posted. So I apologize to those who know about it beforehand. It's like it's like reading the end of the book, you know, uh, before we start reading the beginning of the book. So that's your fault that you, you know, that you read the end of the book, you know, the, and you know the end of the story. Okay. Anyway, so. Culmination, pretty much, of Kippur is a culmination of what we started in Elul, right? We started the Rosh Chodesh Elul, and um, Kippur is the, is the seal. And it says that most people are Bainanin. Most of us on Rosh Hashanah, we're not Katsu Shalom Rashan. We're also not perfect Sadiqin. So they sort of say, like, you know, he makes a lot of promises on Rosh Hashanah. He's going to do this, he's going to do that, he's going to get up for Dominion, he's going to go to Minyan. You can stop with that, you can stop with this. So there's a whole six second Shemayim. Should we believe him? Should we believe him? Okay, let's wait for you, Kipper. If he says you're going to start going to Minion, let's see. That's very true. He goes to Minion. He says you're going to stop talking emotional. Let's see. So it's sort of a test period between Kipper and Kipper. And Kipper, it's, it's, it's a seal. Of course, you still have the, the second appeal, which is the Shara and the third appeal, the Hanukkah, because Hashem loves us, so there's always another chance and another chance and another chance. After Hanukkah, it's a little bit already, a little bit scratched to get another chance. So, the question is, and I've been, talking, I've been speaking about this since Rosh Hashanah Elul, the question is, what is this beginning of Elul that's supposed to culminate with Yom Kippur, with tomorrow night, Shabbos, talking about Yom Kippur on Shabbos, very special this year. Yom Kippur on Shabbos is a very special Yom Kippur, which we'll talk about at the end of the, at the, end of this year. What's the culmination? So, if you open up a Shulchan Aruch, and you look up Hilchus Rosh Hashanah, so it, it begins, Elul, <coughs> stands for, you know what it stands for, right? Anila Dovdi, Uladovdi Li. What does Anila Dovdi, Uladovdi Li mean? It means, I'm to my loved one, and my loved one is to me. It also stands for, Ishtari Ehu Umatanus Levyonin. Which is Ben Alma Chaver, it sounds like Purim, right? Yishtoyev, my son's Levyonin. But that's the Russian Tay, right? Because not only is there a relationship that we have to develop between us and Hashem and Elul, leading up to Yom Kippur, but we have to develop a relationship between us and our fellow Jews. I heard last week of a new representation of the word Elul. Ani Uman, Ishti Levad. I'm going to Uman, I'm leaving my wife at home. <laughs> What? Okay. I don't know. In, in America, it's like Levada. <laughs> anyway, but we're not gonna, I'm not going to explain that. Whoever understands that, that those Russian tables, good. Whoever doesn't understand it, also good. But hello, Anila Dali Dali is a very big question. So I'm sure all the guys here, 
you have a halacha, right? You, have, you definitely have a halacha seder until you open up the Shulchan Aruch and you read, I need a day, and if I have to go through the room, I would ask you, so what would you do? Like, what are you supposed to do? I am to my loved one, and my loved one is to me. Sounds like Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. What does that have to do with Elo? Elo should be, I'm scared, I need to do tshuva, I'm sorry, right? So someone said to me, well, that's like the relationship, the Jewish guy has married, that's, that's what he said, I'm sorry. So I need to sort of, I'm sorry, saying I'm sorry all the time. I didn't that was all the time. Anyway, so the question is, it's very nice, but what does it mean, everybody here? What are you supposed to do? What does it mean? I need to do it. So what, you get up in the morning and, and, and you give Hashem a Hallmark card? I love you, Hashem. You love me? You buy him a flower? Shukhanara, it's not a joke. So what are you supposed to do with it? And most people that I ask this question, I don't know, I don't know it just sounds like very romantic, you know. I need to do it. It's not a halakha. So why do you Shukhanara? Just give Rosh Hashanah to lunch? Just give Rosh Hashanah to lunch and Shukhanara? So the question is, what does that mean? And, and how's that going to help us and he'll do you daily when it comes to the implication? So, about 15 years ago, so I go to the mountains. Anyone who lives in Brooklyn in the city in America, so we all go to the capital. We all go up to the capital for the summer because it's nice and cool up there. We have these little bungalows. You really like your pet rat live in. But also all the people up there, it's fine. They're very nice part. If you ever go to a bungalow in the capital, you see these people flap with $5 million houses. Circular driveway, central air conditioning, ten rooms, six bathrooms, right? All over New York. Beautiful houses. And they all go up, right, to the Catskills, to a two-room bungalow with an air conditioning that works sometimes and doesn't because electricity goes off to the old bungalow colony. Running water sometimes not. So why? Why would you leave, you know, a beautiful house? Why don't you and, and, and someone said something very beautiful. Said, so why aren't you depressed? Like you're sitting in your bungalow, right? And your water's not working, and the Shabbos, it's 102 degrees, and your air conditioning's not working, right? And there's ants, and there's spiders, and there's flypaper, and you're Mr. What's his name who's making $500,000 a year. Why aren't you, like, getting depressed living in such a bungalow? The answer is because you know that it's for two months, and you're going to go back to your house. So it's not a big deal. It's like going on a camping trip, right? The very wealthy people live in beautiful houses. They go on camping trips in a tent, laying on the floor, bugs. Hello, why are you doing that? You spent so much money architecting for two years to build this house. The answer is because I know I'm going to fold up my tent, put it in my car, and I'm going to go home to that beautiful house. Someone told me this summer, it's a very big Muslim hospital, that the way that Claudius Jewish nation is able to go through Golos is, we also had a beautiful house. We also had a very a beautiful base initially. Yesterday, I was, I was at a place, so, so, I understand it, but I don't understand it. When people come to the place, right, tourists, sometimes not even tourists, guys, you guys in there, and you see them taking pictures, right, of the place. And they have their wife poses, picture, kid, picture. Now tell the kid, I'm going to pose, picture. Isn't that a very depressing picture? I mean, if you understood tomorrow, I mean, on Yom Kippur, we're saying that Vaida of the Beit Hamikdash, and now what I'm like, there's a gold mask back there. There are a bunch of cats and there are a bunch of dogs running behind the wall. It's depressing. 
What are you taking a picture of? You take a picture of Corbin. Take a picture of, right? Okay, so instead, it's all that's left. So, what's the answer? Why, why do you think it's just the opposite? You should never take a picture of them. That's, the, that's what they did. That, that's Klaishro. That's the memory of Klaishro. Sinaskina! Of us hating each other! The second base, I mean, Hashem destroyed. If you take a picture to remind us that we hated each other? If you had a house, and Chas Shalom, burn down. Burn down. The only reason you're going to take a picture of the one wall that's standing there is for insurance. <laughs> you're not going to go and have, you got a beautiful house, and then put up in your new house, here, here's a, a picture of the one wall that was standing. That was only, your wife's going to look at this. She's going to remember the fire. She's going to get depressed. Why did you picture the place tomorrow? What are you doing? The answer is that the Kaisomarabi is to remind us that there was such a house. And therefore, the way that Kaisomarabi gets from Golos, the only way we can get to Golos is by the person who has a Muna and understands that right now I'm in a bungalow. Right now I'm in a tent. No matter what kind of house you live in. It says Yerushalayim, nine tenths of beauty was Yerushalayim. Not today. But the Beit HaMikdash was the most beautiful edifice in the whole world. Not today. It's not there anymore. It's just a wall. But if you have a Munah, and you understand that one day, even though you're in a bungalow, and even though you're in a tent, that one day we're going to fold up the tent. One day we're going to leave the bungalow. And we're going to go back home. That's, that's what's supposed to get a person to go. Understanding that we're going to have that moment. That's going to come back to that moment. But if you were to go in the summer and tell that guy in the bungalow, and 102 on Shabbos, electricity just went out, there's no water, it's full of gnats and bugs. Sorry, the bank just took your home away. And all you have left to live in is this bungalow that gets very depressed. You say, what are you kidding me? You crazy? You want me to live here? What do you mean? You live here two months a year? Because he knows that he has a house to go back to, that's how he's able to go through it. Therefore, Kleistro, as hard as it is right now, and Kleistro is suffering and going through all kinds of different situations. But if we know that it's just a bungalow in the Catskills, just a tent in the woods that we live in, but it means Hashem, we're going to have to make some big dash. That's how a person's supposed to get it. That's how a person's supposed to get it. Anyway, so you know that anyone who lives up there, anyone who lives in the Catskills, you don't want to get a speeding ticket up in the Catskills. See, because the way they work it, not like DMV in New York City that you go to one big court. Every town in the Catskills has its own court. So 15 years ago, I got caught speeding on the, on the 17, and I was to go to the town of Bethel. What's the name of the town? Now, they don't like the Jews, even though we're, we're the ones who support them, because we come up there for two months a year, right? And there's a lot of traffic, and they don't like that we're there. So the cops over there... You get a ticket in June and July or August, you never, ever get a court date besides November, December, January. They want to schlep you up there from the city, they know we're all city people, in the cold, in the snow, and mess up your whole day. And it's always from 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock at night. The imam is messed up. Okay. So I get to speak, thinking, of course, I'm a good Jewish guy, so I plead not guilty. Right? Exactly why I wasn't guilty, I don't know. It's too nice. Right? Ascended it. 
And I get a court date, 8 o'clock, November 25th, whatever it was. Okay. I drive up to Bethel by myself, and I come into the city, into the village of Bethel. I'm looking, courthouse. No courthouse. So I drive into the one gas station that's in there with the one tank. It looks like it's from the 1800s. Right, this guy comes shuffling out. He didn't even ask me if I want gas. Then he says, Yeah, I'm going to the car. You know, you know the kind of car I was driving. He says, You're looking for the courthouse, aren't you? Mm-hmm. I'm like, Yup. He says, Yeah, you go down this street, make a right, make a left. At the end of the street, you see a big house with a big porch. That's the courthouse. Okay? So I drive with them, eh? Big driveway. I come to a house. A wooden frame house. Big porch in front. Okay, I get out of the car, I park with a bunch of other cars there. I see on the porch a bunch of state troopers, some sheriffs, some local guys, whatever it is, and a bunch of people like me that got speeding tickets. So you walk up, you go past the cop, they're spitting tobacco, it's like real country boys. They're spitting tobacco, you know, mumbling to each other, another Jew boy from, uh, from the city, you know, going to take care of this guy. And you walk in, there's a woman sitting there, says your name, take a number, they'll call you. Anyway, to make a long story short, you walk into this room, it's, it's the judge's house. Not a courthouse, it's the judge's house. So you know already before you walk in, you're not walking out there innocent. You go into the judge's house. Not only that, but Catherine, his wife, is sitting there with a big sign in front of her, cashier. <laughs> you know already this is a family affair, and you're going to pay for the, for the you know, firewood for the rest of the for the rest of the winter. Anyway, so I walk in there. You guys said, Stephen Wallenstein, next. I walk up, there's such a podium. He's sitting over there. Glass like this. So, Stephen Wallenstein, I see you were speeding. Um, okay, that'll be $250 for speeding and a $250 surcharge. I can say sir too many times. I give you the idea. What is a surcharge? What is a surcharge, right? What's a surcharge? I said, excuse me, sir, but if I might ask you a question... I pleaded not guilty. Yeah. He's already, I'm already guilty. I didn't, I didn't plead yet. He says, son, I'm reading the paper that you sent back. I know what you pleaded. It's going to be $250 for speeding and $250 for surcharge. Um, it could cost you more. I said, but sir, but, but I pleaded not guilty. He says, okay, that'll be $250 for contempt. Oh. If I hear another word from you, um, we have a county jail. Now, just to Catherine and give her the $750, or do you want to continue this discussion? I'm like, $750, you take credit cards, sounds good to me, no problem, I'm out of here. That was 15 years ago, $750 for 70 mile an hour speeding. Okay, that's how they, I guess, I don't know, how they pay for their fire, whatever. Okay, so this year, this year, I'm already a big shot. Because 15 years ago, I wasn't around a while, so nobody knew me. Now, you're not doing that with me, man. None of this, you're guilty or else. I'm going to open my mouth. I'm going to give a whole speech. I'm going to give a share. <laughs> I have rights. I'm a Jew. I'm an American. It's guilty business. So, I was going down Route 52. I thought the speed limit was 65, like 17. It wasn't. I was doing 70. The speed limit was 50. I got pulled over. Trooper pulled me over. Walked out to the window, license registration, no emotion whatsoever. I have a PBA card. 
that we get in New York that says, Rabbi, signed by the 60 priest in the back, please, you know, help him with whatever he needs. And in New York, if I can get pulled over, I stick it between my registration and my license. And I give it to the guy, and he looks at it, and he goes, okay, so, okay, Rabbi, just make sure you don't do it again. Beautiful. It's a highway trooper. Don't get pulled over on highway trooper. Step out of But otherwise, it works. So I figure, hey, state trooper, New York, hey, I'll give it to him. So I put my little card to my license and my registration, and I, and I hand it to him. He takes, the, he takes the license, he takes the registration, he takes the places. I don't remember asking you for anything else. I just throw the back in. So I knew that I was getting this ticket, and this is not a friendly guy. So I give this ticket, and I want to give you two scenarios. So I said, of course, not guilty, because I don't feel I'm guilty, because I didn't know the speed limit. Now, you have to know the speed limit. Maybe I'm going to go back to the camera and be able to see that when I go on on 52 until I get the ticket, there's no posting, so how should I know? It's a county or a state road. How would I know? So I'm already Rebel Wallace. Can I got time that I got to figure it out? I'm not, I'm not that guy 15 years ago. I'm not thinking of that. Come on, TorahAnytime.com. Come on. <laughs> I'm a serious guy. I'm talking about Shemaya. So, it's not a joke. You know, it's not every day. So, I'm all feisty. I'm ready. Get back November 28th, 8 o'clock. Okay? I drive up there. Town of Thompson. Now, the town of Thompson is half the town of Bethel. <laughs> so, this guy's house, only difference is now the judge's house is half the size of the other house. So, you come up there and they're standing on the porch, spitting tobacco. Man, it's been a slow day today. We're going to make a lot of money on this little Jew boy from New York City. And we're already like, okay, we'll see. Let's see who's going to make our vote. Let's see what's going to happen. Quality. Okay. Stephen Wallerstein woke up to the theme. I'm not going to take what happened last time. He said, okay, let me see. 70 to 50. Ooh, 20 miles an hour over there. That'll be 450. With the surcharge of 450, please pay the cashier $900. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. I'd like to say a few words. Yeah. Wallerstein, you never say a few words. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I want to say a few words. I'm not guilty. <laughs> I went, I have pictures, I want to show you a video. From when I got out to 52, till the state trooper pulled me off, there was no posting whatsoever of the speed limit. And I would like to play a video for the court. Like, keep your video. Pay the cashier $900. I'm not! I'm not paying her pay! And I'm not moving! My name's Wallerstein! <laughs> this is America! What are you going to give me, 27 years? Huh? I'm not taking that from you. It's not Iowa. It's New York! <laughs> I, I said, I'm prepared for these people. It's like, it'll be $1,800. Then I hear another word from you. It'll be contempt of court. Contempt of this court? Your call is a court? This is a kangaroo court! <laughs> Mike, big state trooper, please come in here. Handcuffs. Put him in the county jail. We'll talk about it in a week. Rabbi Wallace, you have one phone. Okay, for my wife. SD. So how'd you make that? I'm going to jail. How long? I don't know. They're not even going to look at me for another week. Did it again. You opened your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and whilst he go 
Joe's still kind of controlling. And then who knows what, because up in that town, you may never find me. I may be on a chain gang, and you might never find me again. Okay, that's one scenario. Scenario number two. So Wallstein shows up, and he's standing outside the room, and my number comes up, and they say, Stephen Wallstein, please approach the bench, please go into the judge's room. So I knock on the door really nicely, because I'm not, I, I'm not fighting them. I'm going to come in there and try to kill them with niceness. Because I'm smart, I know that. People can do whatever they want to me. And I open the door, and I'm very nervous, because maybe the judge from last time is going to be the judge from this time. And I'm going to be in big trouble, because it's going to be a second offense. I open the door, and they're sitting at the table at the judge. The most only Jew in the whole capsules. And my heart's like, oh my goodness, the only Jew in the whole capsules is my judge in the town of Thompson. Not only that, not only that, but it's my uncle, Chaim. And I open the door, and there's my uncle Chaim. And I run up to him like, Uncle Chaim? What are you doing here? Look, I'm the judge. Nephew's a Chaim. So you were speeding, weren't you? <laughs> Get over here, let me give you a hug. That's what it takes for you to come see me? Get me a speeding ticket? And he gives me a big hug and a kiss. And I'm giving him a big hug and a kiss. And the minute I'm hugging him, I know it's Uncle Chaim. I have nothing to worry about. That ticket is not happening. What did it say? Calendar? Can I borrow this? Yeah. Do you guys need this? A blanket? Uh, okay. So, we're hugging. Me and my uncle. In walks the cop. Right? He's got his ticket. You know how they do. They write the whole thing up. What you were wearing that day. What you said to him. Right? If you hiccup, he had that, oh, he's trying to slip a, uh, a PBA card in, you know, in between. He's got it all written up. He walks in, and he sees the judge is hugging Wallerstein, the guy he gave the ticket to. He's not stupid. So Mike, the cop, takes the summons, right? And he rips it up nicely. Thanks for the paper. <laughs> should rip up the Roya Hakzera. Anyone who has a bad Zera, manage like this, and Mr. Hashem tomorrow night, for the whole class, no. The little teeny piece. Little teeny piece. Anyway, so Mike the cop, he rips it up and puts it into his pocket. He knows that the judge is not going to be very happy that he wrote a ticket to his nephew. So, Rabbi Wildstein and his Uncle Chaim finish hugging, and they're standing Mike. The judge turns to Mike and says, uh, can I help you? Is it possible that you were a summons to my nephew? He's like, summons? What summons? Oh, that summons? I ripped it up a long time ago. I just came in to tell you, Judge, that, you know, that day, I was taking radar, I was playing around with it, and I guess the nephew zipped by or something, but, but after I checked my radar gun, I realized that some kind of raccoon got it. a <laughs> wire, and, it, you know, it said 70, it probably was 30. Now, I probably should give him a, a summons for going too slow. <laughs> so, so my uncle says, well, so there's no summons, right, Mike? Huh, of course not. That was, was, just, was just something I ripped up a long time ago. So right away, I'm so excited. There's no summons, no point, there's no, there's no penalty, there's nothing. I right away called my wife. Esty! You're not going to believe it! 
What? You're going to jail? <laughs> you opened your mouth? Like, no. It was Uncle Chaim. What do you mean it was Uncle Chaim? He was the judge. Uncle Chaim, the judge? Yeah. Kindleach, Tommy's okay. He's not going to jail. It was Uncle Chaim. And all my daughters run for their phones and they go, Leah, Miriam, it's Uncle Chaim. And the whole flat was just screaming, Uncle Chaim. Once on this shot, there's only one of you know, one percent of you know, Kano, that's my Nihilo. So the Vino Alcano stone peels, Mastineno, Mikatrigeno, we both close the mouth of our accusers and our prosecutors. <coughs> the question is, how can Hashem close the mouth of the prosecutor? The prosecutor, his job, it's like it's like they hire a prosecutor, right? The government hires a DA, and then you tell them to shut up. <laughs> that's his job. His job is to prosecute. So how can you ask Hashem, a Vino Alcano, Close the mouth of the prosecutor. Hashem hired the prosecutor to prosecute. And all the Averos that we did, and all these Malachim that we created, that's what they do. So on what basis are you saying, Hashem, so we can understand what that Avinu Malkeinu means in this story. If you have a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu that you started in Elul, I'm to Hashem, I'm to my loved one, and my loved one is to me. And therefore, I have a relationship. Therefore, when you show up, Yom Kippur night, when Yom Kippur shows up in the court, and it's very scared, oh my goodness, I'm going to be judged. But the relationship that you have with Hashem is a vino malkeinu, is that it's your father. So when Yom Kippur walks into the room, it's like, Tati! Hashem is Yaakov! And Yom Kippur night, you get a big fat hug. Because of the relationship that you have with HaKadosh Baruch Even if it's not a father relationship, it's an Uncle Chaim relationship. And even if it's a relationship where this is what it took. It took Yom Kippur to wake up? Where you been all year? It took Yom Kippur to wake up. It's a very cute story. So in America, times are not so good. We're in a big recession. In case you guys don't know anything about it. We're in like a huge recession. You used to ask your parents, send me a hundred bucks, you got a hundred bucks. Now you ask your parents, send me a hundred bucks, you get a metro car. <laughs> we're like a little bit of a recession. So there's a sign in Flappish on someone's door. You get a lot of stuff, huh? And you put a sign on it and says, listen, willing to give charity to all the poor people that, I, that, I, that are known to me that I've already given charity to. Otherwise, please do not ring my bell. So there's a bunch of Israeli Shulachim, they come collecting, they come to the door, it's written in a they all read it. They never saw this man before, and they're like, we can't ring the bell, we never went to collect, we don't know him, he never gave us money before. They all look away except one guy. There was one guy. And he starts ringing the bell. So, out comes the rich man, looks at the guy, the guy shows him his, his letter, he says, I never saw a letter like this, I never saw you before. You don't know how to read? The sign says, if I don't know you, I don't give you charity. I'm just giving my old people charity. So the, the poor man says, oh, I'm sorry in Hebrew. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And he walks away and he leaves. And the, and the rich man goes back into the house and he's like, the guy speaks Hebrew. He read. He knew he didn't know me. Well, what's the deal with this guy? Just a father. Fifteen minutes later, ding, 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 ding. Bell rings. Comes back out. He's saying, yeah. He says, I told you fifteen minutes ago. 
get out of here. I don't know you. I never met you before. He says, No, the lawyer man. You met me 15 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> not the first time. I'm not the first time. So the guy said, I like this guy. He gave him a big check. <laughs> so you, so you still have a couple of hours, not even 24 hours, to ring the bell, to say hello, to say Shalom Aleichem, to go back to our room, to sit at the edge of our bed, to talk back to the parcel, to go to the Kaisel, to go tomorrow to Daven, we're seeking, to do Kapowers. I don't know what you need to do, but you need to connect so that tomorrow night when you show up, the mouth doesn't say, Who's that? Who's that? Say, What do you mean, who's that? I was here last night. I was here, I'm not, I'm not a stranger. So the Shulchan Aruch is telling us that the basis of saving your life and closing the mouth, what's going to happen? It's going to be like Mike. It's a very beautiful muscle thing on Mike. He says that, that, that there was no lawyer in the world that would take the chance with his life to prosecute the, the children of the king against, against in, in front of the king. In other words, there's no prosecuting lawyer that would get up in a courtroom in front of the king and say, the prince deserves to be killed. He's a Russia. He's a lowlife. He's a murderer. Before he gets any word, next word out of his mouth, the, the king is going to have his head chopped off. The lawyer, the prosecutor, he's crazy. Prosecuting my child. <coughs> he says, look my mind again. If you have a relationship with that Kishbaru, so the son walks in with your whole, all your stuff, right? And he's ready to really let you have it, like Mike. The whole, the whole, the whole ticket. And then there's the Shabbat it's being hung by Hashem. It's not something we crazy. We're, we're going to mess with this Kishama. Stoic P.S. Matsunema Katrigano. He turns around and everyone says, not this one. This is one of our critical books. His children, he's very close to. It will be a very crazy thing for us to prosecute <coughs> one of his children that he has a relationship with like this. It's Uncle Chaim. It's Mike. He goes to the internet like, I don't know. I've watched the video of all his Averos. It just got erased. Something went wrong with the computer. We can't get it up online. There's something wrong. That is telling us a very big secret. And the secret is that the judgment of a person who's connected to Hashem is very different than the judgment of a person who's not connected to Hashem. And that's what, that's what it's talking about. And of course, you know, the, the, the Yetzirah, his class today, is to make sure we're not, you know, it says that telephones, you know, AT&T connects you, just the opposite. The biggest disconnection in the world <coughs> is technology. Everyone thinks that technology is a connection. It's a big connection. It's the biggest disconnection from God. The biggest disconnection from God is a cell phone, is a computer. Why? Why? So if you look in the word of Elo, the first word is Ani. Ani l'daydi u'daydi Not Hashem is to me and I am to Hashem. I am to... So there's no Ani. You don't know who you are. You have no idea who you are. You can't have a relationship. Relationship is based on two people, two beings, whatever you want to say, two things. Now, if you don't know who you are, you can't have a relationship. You can't get married to somebody if there's no you. There's no such thing as a one-way relationship. A one-way relationship is an oxymoron. So the one-way relationship is not a relationship. It's not a relationship. It's not a translation of relationship. Relationship is, of course, everyone in the room knows what's relationship. Relationship is give and wrong. Not give and take. What kind of relationship is that? It's the most abusive, dysfunctional relationship that exists in the world. Give and take. I don't feel bad because when I go, when I speak to my girls, they say the same thing. Give and take. But it's wrong. Imagine. What's your name? David? David, show me I don't know you. 
but I want to get to know you. I want to develop a relationship with you. You mind? Okay. You drive? Not yet. Okay, I'm going to make you my driver so I don't get any more tickets. Okay. Anyway, so David, I want to develop a relationship. So I have this paper, right? And I want to give it to you, David. What's for me? Nice relationship, huh? Give and take. You don't want to be my friend. So people think that relationship is give and take, most dysfunctional relationship in the world. You give something to someone, then you take it back? No. So what is a relationship? Relationship is give and give. I give to David, David says, now Rebbe, now Rebbe, Rebbe, Rebbe Wallstein, you don't have the paper anymore. I don't want you to not have the paper, so I'm giving you back the paper. Wow, that's a marriage. That's a relationship between a father and son. That's a relationship between a between a Rebbe and, 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 and a student. That's a relationship in business. Let me give, right? That's for you, and then the other person feels no, but then you don't have it. So I want to give it back to you. Okay, it's, it's a very funny relationship because all day long she's giving me back, giving me back. For the mic, that's that's a real relationship. And and even deeper than that, the relationship is give and receive. People make the mistake that. Someone gives you something you don't need, you give it back to them. I don't need it. Kids give their parents something they made that's going on. We don't need it. We don't need it. Right? Just the opposite. Just the opposite. Last night, a girl, she put water on the table. I really didn't need the water. But she already brought me the water. So now, I was going to finish my share. I didn't need the water. I would have left. She would have seen the water on the thing. She brought it to me for me to drink. They didn't make a rough. I didn't drink it. So it's not the end of the day. She'd take it and she'd pour it out in the sink. But as she poured it out in the sink, she would feel, you know, I, I put it there where he didn't even drink it. So it hurt her a little bit. So therefore, I made sure that when I finished the share, I made a big bracha and I drank it. I didn't need the water. But you have to be able to receive one person. Because guess what? If I don't drink that water, the next guy would speak to drink that water, and the next guy would speak to drink that water, she's not bringing the water up anymore. She's going, to stop being, she's going to stop being a giver. You know who caused her to stop being a giver? Me, because I was able to receive. It's a very important lesson in bringing up children, because we don't really need anything that our children give us, especially the agenda, but surely all the things that they make for us, we don't need. It's a very famous story of Shimon Pinkethold. So he was building a city, he built a beautiful city with all the chimes and all the things that light up and everything. And then as his kid showed up from school, a little, little guy, he had this piece of crepe paper, which you, which you don't want to put in your circle, because if it rains, it, all the green stuff leaks all over the place. But he came up, Tati, Tati, look what I made! A piece of crepe, crepe paper with, a, with an estrig on it. He said the estrig, instead of being colored yellow, was colored black. It was like the ugliest estrig in the <laughs> So, it should be Tati, Tati. We only had to spend, I don't know how much money on his circle, all this beautiful stuff. He takes it and says, Tati, my little kid, Tati, I'm standing here for the last half an hour looking at my circle, Something was missing. <laughs> Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem that you made. Come. He went on a ladder with his little son and he took the wire and he hung it up. And then he came back down the ladder and he looked at him. Chayamo, whatever the name was. Now the circle looks beautiful. Thank you, Shefor. It was the most beautiful thing. So the kid runs into the kitchen. Mommy, mommy! What? I made the whole sukkah. <laughs> he understood that if he's going to say, okay, even a good father, like, oh, that's really beautiful. Okay, go to your room and I'll hang it up. And of course, you don't hang it up. And of course, you think the kid's stupid. And when he comes the next day, he doesn't see it up. He won't say anything. But what's going to be next day? You think he's going to, you think he's going to hang, he's going to make something? 
And what did you do when you were 16? You think you're going to help him build the football? You turned them off when he was 8. So a person has to understand that even if you don't need something, you have to learn how to receive something. Say thank you. Because that creates a relationship. And where do we learn that from everybody in this room? We learn that from our kids. Do you think that God needs your bracha? And you take out an apple. Who are you? In fact, I think a bracha is the most chutzpahdikah thing in the whole world. Who are you? A low human being worm. To stand in front of the creator of the world. Say, listen God, I want to give you a blessing. <laughs> Bless the you God. And I was like, excuse me, I don't need your blessing. What's your blessing going to do for Hashem? He's going to be stronger. He's going to feel better. He's going to make better apples. I should need your brother. The unbelievable Gemara that Moshe Rabbeinu was in Shemayim, and he walked in. Akash Baruch was making the crowns on the letters. Unbelievable Gemara. I love this Gemara. So the Shechina, Hashem was sitting. Whatever that means, he was making the crowns on the letters in the Torah. Shemayim walked in. Hashem didn't say nothing. Hashem said, Gemara. Hashem said to Moshe Rabbeinu, in your world, when you walk into a room, you don't say Shalom Aleichem. So Hashem said to Moshe Moshe Rabbeinu answered. He said, he answered, he said, when there's someone greater, it's not covered to say Shalom Aleichem, say Aleichem Shalom. So I didn't say anything. Hashem said, okay, good answer. Good answer. Hashem said, but in your world, when you see someone doing something, you don't offer to help. So he said, Moshe Rabbeinu gave a kush both with God. But whatever you're doing, you should be successful. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> Should have gotten a patch. <laughs> Are you crazy? Oh, whatever you do, you should be successful. You? Hello? We say that all the time. We make them rough. What's going on? And the answer is that God wants a relationship. And He understands that if He gives us an apple, and He gives us an orange, and He gives us the ability to go to the bathroom, and he gives us cake, and he gives us wine, and he gives us juice, and he gives us milk, and he gives us all this stuff. It's not a relationship. It's one way. And one way is not a relationship. So Hashem says, even though I don't need the bracha, but I need you to give me something back to create a relationship. Therefore, you make a bracha. Not because he needs the bracha. Because he wants. You don't understand. It's, it's very deep. You don't understand how much Hashem loves us, guys. He wants our relationship. He shook it up. What are you? Who are you? You're a, a digit on a phone? Someone just sent me a, a, a picture of a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a camera, of a tombstone. Instead of saying the guy's name on it, it said his cell phone number. <laughs> no one knew his name. Like, what's this guy's name in Yeshiva? Um, what's his last name? I don't know, but it's 917, and we all know everybody's phone number. We don't. <coughs> Here, we're supposed to want relation with every guy in this room. Why? Who am I?
Anything you make a bracha, connects to Hashem. The sun has a bracha once every 26 years. The moon has a bracha. Everything has a bracha in the world. Cell phone has no bracha. Biggest disconnection. Yitzhahara, all he wants to do, totally disconnect you. Totally. He wants to give you a new meaning of a friend, go on Facebook, you got 955 friends. You think you have friends. <laughs> well, the friends, it would be amazing if you could have 950 friends. One girl told me, she's at like 1,025 friends. It's a big, you know, big competition. I'm like, wow, let's do the math. If you ask each one of them for 10 bucks, it's over $10,000. You don't have to work. <laughs> See, if you can get 10 bucks, you're your friends, you can get 10 bucks. It might never happen. It's a false world. It's a fake world. How do you know it's a fake world? We're busy everywhere. <laughs> Internet, right? The net, the web, the spider, the whole business, right? The iPhone, the i this, the i that, the whole new generation today, right? It's a whole new generation. Everything's i. Got my iPhone, I was on the plane, it has an iPad, everything, right? Just moving stuff around. It's like it's, the motion, I mean, that's, that's only good because that motion, when I grew up, then you get your face left. <laughs> there you have this thing, and you just keep moving like this, and you know, the page moves that way, but that was a lot of, on a plane, and all these people are playing games and they the iPad, and I got the iPhone, and I got the iPod, and if you got to iWorld, the whole iWorld, right? You go to Apple, the store, you can't get in. You can't get in, you have to, you have to make reservations. It's like a hotel. You, get into the, into the, you create a whole world, really. You create a whole world. And what do you name that world? The iWorld. Because this generation, all about you. So everything starts in this world. The word I. Right? Sounds like, never, but I was a kid, I used to watch television, so they had to movie about family age, whatever, the prehistoric man. So he used to come out of the cave. I man. I hungry. I strong. But now we came from the prehistoric, now we're back in it. I phone. I bought. I man. Same deal. But this time, you know, they all wear black shirts, you go into the store, it's not a cave, you know, it's a little bit different. But anyway, based on time I based on time I had a big issue with my daughter, she got the Afrikom on, and I went to the Russ and I said, What's the hottest toy? By the hot He said, The weed. He said, oh, The enemy of the eye! The weed! <laughs> oh, Hashem! Somebody! It's on my side! Generation of the weed! Until I bought it. And I realized that the weed is even worse than the eye because the weed is spelled W I I. The dog Mushkatin came up with that even if you say the word we, it means you and yourself. Yeah? This is the world we're in. So we have we have we have time and space to develop a relationship with my friend Marco. You wake up in the morning, the first thing you do, guys like you know, I give a show and bias class. So you used to wake up in the morning, the first thing you did was you looked in the other bed, your wife was there, you know? Okay, you know, Marco Shem. Today, first thing you do when you wake up in the morning, you take your phone. Oh my goodness. Time sent me a text message at 2.35 last night. <laughs> you gotta look at all your text messages and all your emails, like, hello, you went to sleep at two. You got up at six. How many text messages do you think you got, right? And then you right away, he didn't wash his hands yet, he has to text my sheet. What was Kyle doing up at 2.30? You guys had a party? You left me out? And before you even washed his hand, he sent 20 text messages. So before you go to sleep at night, the last thing you look at is your screen. And the first thing you look at when you wake up, it's your screen. And you know what that world is that you're looking at? It's a dead world. It's a dead world. The internet, 
the Facebook, the Twitter, whatever it is, the cell phone. It's not alive. It's dead. How do I know it's dead? Because you can turn it off. You flip a switch. All 900 friends, you massacred them. <laughs> They're dead. The screen's black. Ah, amazing. Every time you turn it off, you killed the whole Google empire. They're all gone. Go outside tonight and try to turn off the tree. Or the light. You can't turn off nothing. You know why you can't turn off nothing? Because it's real. Because it's real. So the stuff that took us out of the real world, we put us into this technology, and that's where we all live. We all live in the digits, in the letters, in the words, in things that have no life. I just went to a wedding. Ruff told me that the girl and the guy don't really know how to talk to each other because they're both major texters. So he wanted to know if he could text her Hari Atma Kodesh. Text Hari Atma So the Ruff said only the alien can text back with Kodesh. <laughs> You're laughing. You know how sad it is? The little boy tells his father, Tati, for my birthday, I want to be your cell phone. Well, says, you want to be my cell phone? You want a cell phone. He says, no, Tati, I want to be your cell phone. What are you talking about? Says, I want to be next to your bed. You put your phone all the time. I want to be plugged in. I want to be recharged. I want you to talk to me as much as you talk to your phone. I want you to listen to me as much as you listen to your phone. I want you to look at me as much as you look at your phone. How about unlimited minutes with me, Tati? How about once in a while an upgrade of our relationship? Very sad. Very sad. Now, why am I telling you? I'm not giving you a cell phone. I need the day you leave. We have to develop a relationship. We don't know how. <coughs> Guy's gonna run to the room. And while she said, "Yo, Kim, I got a relationship." Okay, give me my cell phone. I'm texting Hashem. Hashem, I love you. <coughs> we don't know how to talk to him. We don't know how to talk. He has a smiley face. Exactly. <laughs> That's great. That means you're happy, right? That means you're happy. The guy's about to jump off the George Washington Bridge and send me a text with a smiley face. <laughs> that, it's, it's a total, total breakdown of communication, <coughs> of being able to communicate, and that's husband and wife, and that's child, and that's what us and I could borrow. Total breakdown of communication. It's, it's boy-girl breakdown of communication. Guys can text a girl something they would never say to them. It's face-to-face. It's always brilliant. Text somebody something you never say. And what does it mean? What does it mean, right? When you send your wife a text, I love you. It could mean, I love you. Or it could mean, I love you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have no emotion. Have no emotion. So, I'm going to tell you something. You need to leave your technology for five minutes a day and turn everything off and sit at the edge of your bed. We're going to sit somewhere quietly by the Kaisal at 3 o'clock in the morning and talk to him. Because as much as everyone wants to do the right thing, we are so disconnected. We are so disconnected from God. We have no idea. We have no idea. We, we walk around, and I'm going to tell you a story. We, we, so I, went, I, I spoke at a modern school this year. So I was supposed to speak on Wednesday. They called me up. No, don't come on Wednesday. Come on Thursday. Why? We just got a, a, a reservation to go to the MoMA. 
MoMA is the Museum of, of, of Art in Manhattan. MoMA. You have culture. You don't you, know, you go to the MoMA, you have to have a suit and have to be dressed correctly. And it's, it's, it's more, more important than a shoe. You can't talk. Talk in the MoMA. You get snipers from behind. <laughs> Red LED thing in your head, you're dead, you know? MoMA, I don't understand how you see the thing. And married people go to the MoMA. What, what are you doing? There's pictures of undressed people all over, all over the walls. It's art. It's culture. I'd like to see, like you're here tonight, before my speech, and put one of those paintings over here, everybody would run out and say, he's a mushkis, he's a, this rabbi, he's sick, he's a, he's a weirdo, he's never, he's never come to my shir again. Or, next shir, there'll be 900 guys here. I'm not sure which way it would go. No! Go to the museum? Okay. So, I said to the girls, so tell me, Cell phones. For a whole day, I didn't know who was trying to reach me. What a life! 
And I'm here. And I'm here. So the new modem. I love the new modem. So nobody turns off some vibrates, which of course is dumb. Because once your phone vibrates in the middle of Shemona Esrei, there goes your Kavana because who's calling you? So you got to see it, but you can't let anyone else see that you see it. Right? So then some guys pull out their phone and they believe it, that, that the dominant is on their phone. <laughs> they don't fool me for a second. I know the trick. So the, the new modem, like you take that phone and it's on the clip and you're like, instead of modem this way, they're like, <laughs> you're deceitful you're talking to God what are you doing looking at your phone a few months ago a guy talked to me what am I telling me he's not in the room right now I wouldn't say the story he's in the middle talking to me and he flushed the toilet
That's how you talk back that Kodesh Baruch Hu. Machin am Listen, every page in your book, uh-uh. My name's not going to be oh, off. So it's fun. Should have slammed. The Bible says, good, you said good, Moshe. You said good, Christ will say. So once you hear how you feel, Rachel Imeno, Hashem, the Beit HaMikdash is burning. Megillah's Eicha. Megish Eicha. Avram comes? No. Yitzhak comes? No. Yaakov? No. Everybody's trying to save Israel? No. Rachel wasn't called. Cuts to Rachel Imeno. Rachel. Right? Roughly made up. Kevin Rachel. She jumps up. She runs back to her She says, what are you doing to my children? Shem <coughs> said, they serve their way to Zara. They have to be destroyed. She says, excuse me. I was not jealous of my sister. Not only that, but I was under the bed. She said, I was under the bed of Yaakov and Leah saying the, the, the words so that my sister wouldn't be embarrassed. She tells Hashem, look at the message. She says, I don't understand, God. I'm a human being. And I wasn't jealous of my sister. And you're God, and you're jealous of a bunch of eight five one, a bunch of wooden idols? I can't believe what I should be. Well, excuse me. I mean, hello? You're telling Hashem a kabbalah. Ah, no, surely I'm a human being, and I can handle it. God, you can't handle it? Boom, lightning bolts. My book would have come out. Goodbye. <laughs> Open your mouth, Hashem. I'm like a chutzpah. Making a comparison between you and Hashem. Well, we said, good, you say good. You're the only one who's going to listen to. I'm not going to destroy Christ. Don't you feel. Jump up and down your kid and say, What do you want from us, Hashem? 2,000 years! 2,000 years I'm on the street. Kids on the street. Kids at risk. 2,000 years? Hashem, you should be happy that there's one guy learning. That there's one Jew marrying us. There's one Jew keeping shots. Oh my goodness! Look how many Jews are keeping shop. Two thousand years on the street. Street kids, the whole life strong. Open your mouth! Talk to Akash Baruch Hu. Say what you feel! It's a low fear, Akash Baruch Hu. We can't take it anymore! How many more divorces? How many more suicides? How many more kids in hospitals? How many more kids on drugs? How many more kids not keeping Shabbos? It's enough! That's what I should want to say. Not Things are great. Life's great. Nation's doing well. <laughs> no? Can't wait for the show for I'll get my honey cake. Life's good. What about a relationship? Talk to me. Talk to me. The ones that did got a reaction. What are you talking I'm not telling you anything. Anything new. Don't be scared. Don't be scared to talk to Hashem. That means you don't have a relationship. Of course, it has to be with respect. As when we talk to his father, his father wants to hear when his children are in pain. His father wants to hear when you're in pain. He wants to hear when you're happy. He wants to hear when you're thankful. And that's the relationship that we need to develop. We can't develop that on cell phone. <coughs> so there's a story. We'll end with this. <coughs> Wait, okay. There's a story like maybe the story. Ah, I heard the story this summer, and I actually held it in. Until this past Monday night. I've been in Marquette with 2,500 women. I said the story over. And I said it to a small crowd in LA and I made them swear on their life. But they don't repeat it. It doesn't get out. Or else I'm going to come back to LA and kill every single one of them. And they believe me. No, they had it on faith. They had it on tape recorder. 
So the story is like this. It's an amazing story. I was, I had the chutzpah today. I was by Rabbi Ben Abba He's a big makoba and a big tzaddik in Naharia. And he gave me a bracha very close to him. And there were hundreds of people waiting for the David. I never asked you this. I want to tell you a story that I said over Monday night. And when Rabbi heard the story, he said, so I'm going to tell you all the story. The story like this. There was a girl. Her name was Miriam. She was born blind. She was looking for a shidduch. Nobody wanted to go out with her. Blind girl? Who wants to go out with a blind girl? So finally, there was this one boy. His name was Chaim. And he said he'll go out with her. And they went out once, twice, three times. And they, fell, they fell in love with each other. They got married. Okay. She was blind. They were, living, they were married for two years. And one day they heard on the radio that there's a doctor in Texas who just started doing eye transplants. And he was successful. And that anyone who's looking for such a thing should register WW or whatever it was. Anyway, he's all excited, she's all excited. So they registered. And they have to fill out an application, blood type, and all kinds of different things. Blind from birth, not whatever. Go through the whole thing. Healthy, young. Anyway. Finally... They get a phone call from Texas. They're on the list. Ah, they're so happy. But, being that there are very few eye donors, they're, they're figuring it's going to be about 20 years for her to get a set of eyes. She's very broken. She's very broken. She's already in my 20s. Another 20 years. And who knows what's going to happen until then. And she was all excited that she was on the list, but then she got all very not excited because it was going to be... Two months later, he comes home. He says to her, Miriam, you're not going to believe it. Something happened to the list. I got a phone call today at work. That they got up here a set of eyes, and that it's for you, and you match the blood type. And next week, we're going to Texas to get you a set of eyes. She's all excited. The next week, they go to Texas. They're in the hospital, all the preparations, and night before the surgery, he comes next to her bed, he sits down. He says, I have to tell you, Miriam, I have to tell you something. When you get your eyes, it's going to be the first time that you see me. There's something about me I need you to, I need you to know. She says, Chaim, there's nothing, nothing that could be bad about you. He says, no, I've been fooling you for the last few years. See, you're also, I'm also blind. And I don't want you to feel bad that I made sure that you're getting a set of eyes because my blood type didn't match. So don't feel bad. I meant to show one day it'll match and I'll be able to see you. So she's hugging him and she's kissing him and like, I can't believe it. Okay, don't worry about it. I'll take care of you. Fine. She gets she gets the surgery. They put bandage on her eyes. A week later, first time she opens her eyes, you can imagine the first time she sees the world. And she sees her husband. And she walks over to him and she says, Chaim, I just want you to know, you probably never saw yourself because you're blind, but you're a very handsome man. A very beautiful man. And, and don't worry, things are going to be good. And things were good. She could see the new life. She got a job. And at work, her executive, the guy who hired her, was a good-looking, rich, powerful executive. And he started to hit on her. She's very pretty. And after she, he kept whispering in her ear, like, listen, what are you wasting your time with a blind man? You know, if you go with me, we could see the world. We could ski. We could water ski. We could go to the Alps. Go to Lake Tahoe. And she was like, no, 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 this is my husband. But he worked, and he worked, and he worked. And then she started to, like, you know, every time he tripped and he fell, and she had to pick him up. 
and every time he missed the garbage can, she had to clean up for him, and she wanted to go here, and he couldn't, and she wanted to go there, and he couldn't. She, the marriage started to fall apart. So finally, one day, after this guy continuously, continuously bothered her, she decided, it's over. So, she called up her husband, and she says, Chaim, this is very hard for me. I hope you understand, but I, I can't live with you anymore. You, you live in a dark world. I, I used to, but I don't live there anymore. I live in a different world, and I need to go places, and I need to see things. So I'm asking you for a divorce. And he said, divorce? Ah. But you know what? I love you. So if that's what you want, I understand that you can see, and I can, and I understand that I respect that. But if that's what you want, I'll be out of here by 9 o'clock tonight. I'll pack up. She says, that's what I want. So he packed up all his bags, he leaves. 9.30, she comes home. Not a trace of him. Not a jacket, not a shirt, not a pair of shoes. Nothing. She walks into her bedroom. There's an envelope on, on the bed. With a letter from him to her. I have the letter. I want to read it to you. The letter says as follows. From Chaim. Dear Miriam, I guess all the great times we had together doesn't mean anything anymore. I will really miss you I really love you. I'm only going to ask you for one favor. Please, take care of those beautiful blue eyes, for they were once mine. He had given his own eyes as a transplant for her. I gave them to you so you could see me. But I guess I'm nothing to look at. She couldn't believe it. He wasn't really blind. Now he was blind. He gave her her eyes, and that's his eyes. That's why she didn't have to wait. And look what she did to him. And he gave her his eyes so that she could see him. And now all she saw was a life without him. And she was sabracha, and she was broken. How could she do such a Sounds very mean. People hear the story. Wow. That could never happen. So, I'd like to read you something that you read every single day. Every morning. Elokai, my God. Nishama Shinasatabi. The soul that you gave to me. Tahorahi. It's a match. It's pure. It matches. Ata Barasa, you created it. Ata Yitzata, you formed it. Ata Nafaktabi, you made the transplant. You blew the Neshama into me. Ata Meshava Mekiri, and you make sure that it doesn't get rejected, the transplant, that it stays in me. Ata Asa Blitlavi Meni, one day you're going to take it away from me. Ula Zira Bailu Asa Lava, but you're going to put it back in me. So Hashem, I'm going to give you a promise every morning for giving me your eyes, your ears, your nose, your mouth, your hands, your brains. Your God gives us all this every day. I'm going to make you a promise. I'm not going to be like her. Cold mancha and shall be you. As long as I'm carrying your eyes, God. I promise you and thank you. Hashem alikai, okay, I will sign. We boy call a mass, my boy call a shaman. Thank you, Hashem. 
We're giving you this transplant every day. And the Zaya says that everyone's neshama in this room, whatever this means, is part of God. So Shem took part of himself and transplanted it into every one of us. Why? Why? Why did he put a neshama in all of us? Just like the letter from Chaim. I gave you my eyes to see me. I guess I'm nothing to look at. And all you see is the guy in the office who wants to take you around the world. <coughs> says, I pray Baruch Hu every day. Guys, I give you life. I give you my neshama. For what? To go to the MoMA? To look on a screen? That way I gave you life? I gave you life to see me in a Gemara, in a Chumash, in a Bracha, in an apple tree, in a sunrise, in a sunset. But no. No. When you first looked at me as a little child, like when she first opened her eyes, she said, wow, you're gorgeous. My husband's gorgeous. Yeah. Little kids, I teach in a school. Little kindergarten kids, they walk around. Tell me. Tell me something about Hashem. I do it all the time. Go to the little kids. Go to any little kid. Tell me, who's Hashem? Hashem is everything. They light up. Does Hashem love you? Hashem loves me. I love Hashem. He loves me. And then they go to that little song. Hashem is there. Hashem is everywhere. Up and down. All the way. Right? First grade, they love to sing that song. It's so beautiful to God. That's all they do. Hashem, I, He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. Hashem is everywhere. I love that song. Up, down, left, then, right, right? Hashem is everywhere. Then you go to 8th grade in my school. My boys. 8th grade. Where's Hashem? Rabbi, prove me the Hashem. What Hashem? What happened? <laughs> <laughs> what happened between 1st grade and 8th grade, boys? And what happened between 8th grade and 12th grade, boys? And what happened between 8th grade and base Medrash? What happened? All of a sudden, walking around. How do you know there's a God? Show it to me. Prove it to me. I believe in evolution. I believe in the little fat guy, Buddha, who sits on a thing. Can't lose weight in 4,000 years. I believe in this, and I believe in that, and me, and me, and power, and energy, and prove it! And Hashem's like, but I gave you your life. The reason I gave you your life, you to sum up, is you look at me, and now all of a sudden, I'm the last one you look at. Why? Because the great executive, Yitzhahara, is like, what? What? Guys? <coughs> Life? With a neshama and going yeshiva learning? That's for blind people. We've got to go to, you know, the square, the real usual light. We've got to party. We've got to have fun. Come on. And you're like, the kid is, oh, I'm good. But he continues to he continues to So then we use our eyes to look at the wrong thing, our ears to hear the wrong thing, our hands to touch the wrong thing, and all the senses that we have that Hashem gave us, so for Him, we use for everyone else. Every morning. But this story that sounds so mean, what kind of woman is this? He gave her his own eyes. We're the same person. We do the same thing every day. Give them back what belongs to him, because guess what? All your stuff, including yourself, is his. Said, <laughs> Hashem, what am I doing? Everything's yours. 
Whatever I give you, I give you back just what you gave me. So I think what we need to do is that we, we need to reconnect with our country's powerful guys. I wish that I was on the level of opening a Gemara and seeing Hashem. I got to go to Beer Mountains, an hour and a half out of New York to my spot, where there's one spot, it's a ranger station where you can see 500 miles of woods and mountains, where it's just you and an eagle. <laughs> and I can scream at the top of my lungs to Hashem when I need to scream, and I can cry, and I can connect, and I can be quiet, and it's like not normal. That's where I need to go. And I'm stupid. I told one girl where I go, in the Arab Rosh Hashanah, she called me up, Get where I am, Rabbi. She's like, Where are you? Like, Your spot, it's amazing. I'm like, Oh, no. What I tell her. I had this one spot. I wish I could be connected that way, but over here tomorrow, I knew someone that was. My Rosh Hashiva, Miri Yeshiva. Want to hear a crazy story about being connected? So there was a little guy, his wife was sick with cancer. Third, like on the third level, very bad. The guy was a Miri Yeshiva for a long time. Went to Rosh Hashiva, he said, Rosh Hashiva. I have little kids, I have little people, little kids. Shashiva has to do a wife. See, I'll help you. The doctor's ready to get it off. Shashiva, if you're a reform, Shashiva said, uh, I'm not a rebel. Uh, not I'm a kobo. I'm a little Shiva Shashiva. I don't do much. I don't do much. I do miracles. You get pushed. You are a Shashiva. You're the biggest masculine. You went to Tyra. You have to know. So, Shashiva said, a month later, I had a drop of cancer in my mind. The guy just freaked out. I went back to Rosh and said, she did a wifeus. <coughs> she did a miracle. Maybe mm-hmm. she could tell me, like, what'd you do? She said, I'm pushing. What'd you do? He says, I'm not a wifeus. I'm not a couple. I'm not a remedy. Says, you pushed me. You pushed me. I know you all these years. He says, I'll tell you the truth. I spoke to my Gemara. I spoke to Abayi Rebbe. I said, Rebbe, all these years I'm talking to you. All the time, we're talking back and forth. Make a mark back and forth. I'm buying a rubber, I'm buying a rubber. I never asked you for anything. I'm buying a rubber, I'm asking you. Go to the Shekinah, get the Shekinah, get the and help us in the room. He's pushing my Rishiva. We don't think I'm already talking to my rubber. We just see letters. I'm buying a rubber. He's talking to my rubber. He sees the sunrise when he learns a good piece of Gemara. I'm not there yet. I'll buy one day. You hear? Opening Gemara? Talking to my rubber. Talking to Rashi. Well, I get it. Right. Talking to Rashi. But you can get to that level. You can connect up to his book. But you get head. He's like, ah, ah, Because you got all your electricity going through there. And the girls and the thoughts and all that stuff go, ah. There's no I need. There's no I need. There's no, there's no, there's no on you. There's no person. Who are you? You don't know who you are. You're a mixture of elect- electrical impulses. Gadgets. So an elbow, the first thing you need to do, before you, before you sit, next, tonight, tomorrow night, you'll give birth, right? Who are you? Sit tonight, get your bed, try to figure it out. Who am I? Go outside, sit on a, on, on a bench. Because Baruch I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, you gave me this whole year. I got signed last year for life. You gave me a transplant. For a whole year, I'm hearing you, right? You gave me a transplant. What did I do with it? I used it to look at everyone else, but you. So trust me, I'm sorry. Sorry, this year... I know we gave me those beautiful blue eyes. This year, I'm just going to be looking for you all over. In my glory, in my sunrise, in an apple, in everything that I do, I'm going to be looking for you. And then you're, you're definitely going to have a good year with me. When you walk into the courtroom, it's going to be Uncle Chaim. It's going to be Abba Chaim. And you got nothing to worry about. So when I end off, the bracha, 
First of all, I would, I would just tell you, you know, we know in the San Diego, there's two uh, fuels to talk about. My is there. It's a very big thing. And Yom Kippur, to add one extra fast, and that's called the Tainas Dibur. Not to speak. From the beginning of Yom Kippur to the end of Yom Kippur. Tainas Dibur has a bigger kayak and brought down in Kabbalah than, than a food than not eating. Not talking is more powerful. It's called a cherev. It gives you a sword that's able to cut through all everything. Not to talk a whole Yom Kippur. From when you start Yom Kippur, Kalidre, until Myriv, not a word to anyone about anything. If you can do it. Now, married people, it's hard to do because you have to have a wife, you have to have a kid. You guys are single. That way you're guaranteed not to talk about anything you should have talked about. It works. Tshuva is a sign. Tefillah is called to take on this year if you can to keep a cheshvan to make a hundred brachas a day. David Amelach came up with a hundred brachas a day. The biggest play that ever helped hit Israel. Nobody could stop it. To him, nothing could stop it. A hundred brachas a day stopped again. There's a book, there's a safer called a hundred brachas. You get that book every day and a little, little thing piece of paper. You make 20 in the morning, 20 at the end of the night. If you only have 98, you sit down, you make a bracha on two things, you got it done. And of course, tzedakah is giving charity. My view in Israel, if you do those three things, you don't have to worry about it. It's Shabbos. It's a very big day. Shabbos and Shabbos is very, very, very big. It says in the Gemara that if Christ will keep two Shabbos in a row, Mashiach will come. Yom Kippur Shabbos is considered two Shabbos, actually three Shabbos in a row. Because Yom Kippur is Shabbos Shabbos. But let's say it's not. Let's say we'll just count it as one. So Yom Kippur is considered a Shabbos, and it comes out on Shabbos. So if Klai Yisrael was to keep this Yom Kippur, let's say Yom Kippur, when they go to Shabbos, it's a Shabbos Shabbos. The problem is, we know a lot of people that don't keep Shabbos. How are we going to get them to keep Shabbos? All right, all those people in Arizona that aren't religious and the university, who knows what? They don't even know they're Jewish. They're not going to keep Shabbos. So it sounds like the rabbi set us up for failure. Yeah, the Jews keep two Shabbos in a row. But how can all the Jews keep? So I'm going to tell you an unbelievable thing that I heard this year. So this this guy, this this, this father brings his son the first time to shul. He's a toddler. He's a year old. They don't talk. He can't talk. He didn't talk yet. He doesn't talk. He's a little kid. He comes to shul. He looks at the rabbi. The rabbi looks a little scary. He walks up to him in front of the whole shul and he gives him a kick in the rabbi's leg. Oh! <laughs> Father's like, uh oh. Really want him to be okay. But anyway, uh oh. So the father jumps up, the kid can't talk, and he goes up to the rabbi, I'm so sorry for my son, he's pulling his I am so sorry if he could talk, I make him say, I have to apologize. But he can't talk, I'm apologizing for my son. I, I can't believe he did it. The rabbi, you have to understand, he got nervous, he panicked, it's his first time he's in shul, I don't know, he didn't know he were. And you know, parents, we have, we come up with all these stories for our kids. Unbelievable. This year, Chayyishol, whenever it's in Kippur Shabbos, it's two Shabbos together. You can be Mashiach. Chayyishol has to have a special kavanah in Yom Kippur. And every guy that's davening to Hashem has to say that all the Jews that don't know that they're Jews, and even the Jewish kids who come from religious families but are not keeping Yom Kippur, are not keeping Shabbos because they're angry, because it's dysfunctional, because they were abused. Whatever it is, they're called like a little kid, but like a tinnik anishba. Called a tinnik anishba, a little boy who doesn't know. So therefore, Kodesh Baruch I, Chayyishim and Wallerstein. I'm apologizing to you for all the people who can't talk who kicked you the whole year. Just like that father can apologize to the kid because he can't talk, I'm apologizing for all the people in Israel who don't know how to talk. They have no idea who you are. And if the whole religious people who keep Shabbos and keep Yom Kippur would talk to Hashem that way, if each guy says, I am davening and apologizing for all the traditions, but all the Jews who don't know. What's in Kippur is going to be one big part. 
when we come, when we come the coming of Mashiach. Next year, Mitzvah Hashem, I won't be talking to you in here because I'm a client and I'm going to be the base of Mikosh. But I'll be a nice guy. I'll come outside to the concert. And I'll give you, you know, your kid is going to be here. I'll give you, I'll give you a nice Mitzvah Hashem. We should all be Zaika. See the base Hamidash. You should all be Zaika to connect to God, guys. You should all be Zaika to be. Walk into that courtroom and get a big, fat hug. May Hashem hug each one of us, each one of us in the Shamas. May he hug the whole class well. And may Shia and Rebbe and Amen. Amen. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.